players gather to cast powerful spells, some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of Magic the Gathering. Dark Ritual, Lotus Petal, Kappa Cannoneer, and many others. Battling head-to-head -head in brutal combat, they all have one thing in common, to uphold their legacy and the search for eternal glory. The Eternal Glory Podcast is brought to you by the minds behind Bashanral on YouTube, Thurban University, and TheEpicStorm.com. Hello, and welcome to episode 66 of the Eternal Glory Podcast, Neon Highlights. I'm Phil Gallagher, joined as always by Bryant Cook and Brian Koval. How are y'all doing tonight? It's a pretty rainy day here in Syracuse, Phil. Lots of storms. Ooh, that's good for you. The rest of us, not so much, but Bryant Cook is thriving. Absolutely. All right, um, Brian, I know you have a, kind of an announcement to start us off before we do our usual life updates. Yeah, this is going to be the last episode structured as it has been in the past. We are opening up a Patreon to support the podcast moving forward. And we're going to make the publicly released episode of the cast a lot tighter. Going to try to keep it like an hour long and only talk about the topic. We're still going to do our life updates and hanging out and talking about other stuff and our side tangents. But we're going to have that basically the front 30 minutes of the podcast hacked off and released separately on Patreon. So if you like that sort of thing, you can join us over there and still get it. If you hate that sort of thing, you don't have to listen to it anymore, and maybe you could join the Patreon as a thank you for not making you listen to that anymore. Also on the Patreon, we're going to give uh, shoutouts on the cast. We've done a a weekly donation read-off all along, but now we can structure it a little better. Shout out new members on the cast every week. We'll do a mini mailbag from Patreon subscribers. Just if you have your questions you want to hear us answer on the air, that's where you can do that. And we'll also have really high tiers if you're a store owner or a tournament organizer or someone who wants to get the word out about something we can set up some sort of recurring sponsorship ad read type thing at a much higher level but for most of you out there this is the last time you're going to hear our updates unless you want to hear them all right and speaking of those updates i i guess i'll start i'm in this really weird situation right now where i'm thinking about my summer job and i've done this latin academy gig for a long time and I'm currently thinking about whether or not I want to do it this summer or whether or not I just want to spend two months hitting YouTube and content production absolutely with everything that I have. And that's a situation that I really didn't think I would find myself in as of last year. But uh, the deeper down this YouTube rabbit hole I go, the more I realize like there's so much growth potential there and time is the limiting factor. I definitely like the idea of making the push because it gives you a really good idea that if you were going to do this full time, what is your real potential? Like if you didn't want to teach anymore, what could you get out of it? Is it comparable? Is it better, etc.? And a two month time period is pretty good at gauging that. So I'm all in for it, Phil. Granted, it's not me, but I believe in you. I can recommend it as someone who has done that. I did not work last summer at all. I didn't take on an extended school year or any clients or anything, just focused on YouTube. And the growth that I had in the early days that led to where I'm at now 
was because of COVID, basically had nowhere to be and nothing to do. I was working in a school and the school didn't have the infrastructure to instruct in the, that environment yet. So I've basically taken that pause work full-time run at YouTube twice now and the dev the dividends are there it it's working yeah and last summer was a particularly good t time right that was like modern horizons too and like that was a peak for a lot of our channels in many ways yeah absolutely and my life update is very similar to yours <laughs> at least in a roundabout way i've been so busy lately like my real job is just up and cooking i have a full client caseload every case is staffed with people who i'm now in charge of training and supervising and it, it's it's firing on all cylinders and i'm struggling to find the time to get my videos recorded in a comfortable manner it's like it, they're getting done but it's like uh, we're recording this at it's almost seven at night and we're just sitting down to record this and i'm probably gonna have to record a video when we're done here probably be up until like almost midnight turning that around and it, it's a very delicate balance that is thrown off by like if i go out of town for star city philadelphia for example and i lose two days of recording suddenly the balance is just borked for two weeks as i burn the midnight oil trying to get it leveled back out i am in very serious consideration of what it would take to not have a day job anymore. Really working on like a media kit and a presentation uh, uh, to court potential sponsors. And that's where my life is right now. And the thing you're thinking about doing over the summer, I'm thinking about just doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so like you two know this already, but just for our listeners at home. I was recording a popper league up until like 15 minutes before the cast started. The, the I'm doing five day a week content right now. And like keeping that a thing for as long as I can is very real. I had to increase my prices again for my donation tiers, which is like a good thing. Business is good. But I just increased them like a week ago. And after Kamigawa Neon Dynasty hit, like the demand for new stuff just went through the roof. And I'm already booked out a month again. Yep, absolutely. I, I w this past Friday, I recorded a video and was like, oh, how am I going to get through the week? Uh, I'm busy all weekend. Uh, there was a, a local, they called it the, the Magic Spectacular, run by Titan Games and Double Looks Games. And it was an all-day tournament Sunday, all-day tournament Saturday. And I was like, oh, God, how am I going to get through the next week? I know what my work schedule is like. I'm not going to be able to get five videos done. I O2 dropped the legacy portion on Saturday and I was like, thank God. And I just pedaled to the metal, ripped home to record a video. And honestly, breaking out of that tournament was the best thing that could have happened to me that day because yeah, it, it just took the pressure off and I found the time. And yeah, it, it is very challenging balancing two significant jobs like that. And I'd like to stop doing that if I can. That's what I've been doing. It's uh, not always easy. I've made the joke before, but I definitely don't get enough sleep. Like Brian was talking about not going to bed before midnight. That's pretty regular for me. I work my day job. I come home. I record a league. I edit it. I upload it. I do all the back end. I'm usually in bed by like 1231 and then restart the next day. It's uh, not easy. Yeah, something, 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 burning the candles at both ends. Choose any number of metaphors here. We're, we're doing that, folks. Yep. For sure. I will say this. But it's working. It's a lot easier to play when the formats are good. And right now, oh, Neon Dynasty yeah. has just been such a blessing. Like, I'm loving almost every format that I'm playing. I have really enjoyed my leagues. And like, 
there's weeks where I don't, you know, there, there's weeks where there's some real rough stuff in the queue. Like last week, I, I played this like modern Golgari, like true graveyard synergy deck that was like an 04 league. And it was just like, oh, this wasn't competitive. Then there was like this week where um, I'm, I'm just going to like go directly into my magic updates here. I just had a week of absolute bangers. My mono black control popper deck hit about 10,000 views. My ninjas popper video hit 11,000. My mono green enchantment storm hit 10,000. I, I did a, a Mardu tokens video where I got just fucking bodied by Kappa Cannoneer. And that one is at 8,000 after a little over 24 hours. Like, I just had a week of, like, people just digging my content, and I was loving playing it. And that's all I can ask for as a Magic creator. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, new set releases, high-impact set releases. We mentioned Modern Horizons 2 being, like, a very good time to be full, like, elbow-deep in content creation. And Neon Dynasty is shaping up, too. Even if it's not, bright, like, really shattering paradigms the way MH2 did, it's changing every format it's legal in i i haven't really seen a modern shakeup i guess but popper vintage and legacy all got really powerful upgrades definitely like phil my youtube channel has been doing very very well over the last few weeks due to neo and uh it's just refreshing to see this because like there's the holiday slump after like january tends to be a down month for everyone and just like seeing the life come back is really really nice on top of that, I've been experimenting with some YouTube stuff. Recently, I've been trying out YouTube Shorts, and then I even had a live stream this week. Uh, we talked about it a little bit before we went live, but I was like, yeah, I only had 50 people watching. And then Phil and Brian were like, that's pretty good for your first time streaming on a brand new platform. So maybe I need to adjust my perspectives a little bit, but that was kind of cool. And then uh, I crushed a legacy challenge. I took the advice of this very podcast, and I decided, well, if Delver and, you know, Breacher controller are going to be the best decks. Why don't I just build a list dedicating to crushing those decks? So four Carpet of Flowers, four Galvanic Relays, Defense Grids. I called it Delver Killer, and that's what it did. I just crushed Delver all day with that deck. And uh, without Ragavan, a lot of those cards got a lot better. Carpet and Defense Grid in particular. Nice. It's nice to take your own advice and be right, isn't it? feels good like people never take their own advice not as much as they should but very nice i'm glad to hear that worked out for you i i i took my own advice this last week so i i sent brian a message and i was like hey you should record with ninjas if you have the chance i think that video will spike and after sitting on it i'm like shit i should record with ninjas and yep. sure enough yeah i uh i jumped my normal recording queue a little bit somebody came into my dms like i'd like you to explore ninjas in modern legacy and popper Oh, at, at three three different leagues and i was like i will move the legacy one and the popper one up to this week like modern i can chill on but like if you slide into my dms with something i want to do anyway i'll give you some some royal treatment and uh my popper video released and my my legacy one was last friday and then the popper one was today so uh exciting stuff i got to ninjutsu a blight steel colossus when i was dead on board otherwise i saw that screenshot it was so awesome oh yeah Oh, yeah. I It was one of those moments where I was like, okay, they have Dragon's Rage Channeler. I'm at 14. They attack me to 11. They have like two cards in hand. I'm like, please don't have the Merc Tide. There's Merc Tide, obviously. Last card in their hand. It's an 8-8. It didn't cost them Delirium. Exactly 11 on board. I'm hellbent. I'm like, 
I, I guess I need a snuff out to try to make this game last a little longer. Blight Steel Colossus off the top. And I already had uh, Satoru in play and just ninjutsued that buddy straight into their dome. Uh, one of those moments that you're just so glad that it's on camera. By the way, thank you for recording that video before I recorded my version. Because I got to watch your conclusion and then uh, adjust my deck list that I was sent accordingly. Smart. I, of course, did not make the deck better. I made the deck worse and put in more memes, but... I mean, that's what I said in my conclusion. I was like, there's a ninja deck here, and there's a, like, ninjutsu show-and-tell deck here. Uh, how far do you want to go in which direction? I, I, I think you... You made the right choice. I haven't seen the list, but I trust you to yeah, take there, it in the right there, direction. There, there's four show and tells in the sideboard, and there's just like some beautiful moments in the league where like I'm basically dead on board. A Yuriko trigger happens, and I flip an Emrakul off the top of the deck, and I just lose my goddamn mind. Yes, yes. Hashtag spoilers, but go check it out anyway. Yeah, it, it's going to release tomorrow, so that video will already be out okay, by the time perfect. this podcast hits. I won't lie, this entire conversation, I've been wondering, like, how do you even make modern ninjas work? I'm, like, trying to think of, like, playable, because you don't have Yuriko, the power level of, like, deep hours isn't that high. Like, what's the real payoff for modern ninjas? You get to do, like, the popper thing with Spellstutter Sprite and Ingenious Infiltrator. Bitter Blossom is, like, a playable card in modern, like, that's the sweet spot, kind of. I have, like, three or four different takes on ninjas in in modern. Also, you do get Yuriko. It's just called Dreadhorde Arcanist when you're in modern. <laughs> so there, there's some cool stuff there. Just attack, cast a spell out of your graveyard, flip it into a ninja. <laughs> like clear the blocker with a lightning bolt out of your graveyard and then ingenious infiltrate. There's some there's some stuff. I, I have explored that deck multiple times on my channel. So speaking of not getting cards from commander sets, uh, small correction to our last episode. I talked about swift con reconfiguration in modern. It is not legal in modern. I'm sorry if you caught that. And if you didn't catch it, you're at fault too for not catching it. Uh, but Shit, it was I in the commander that. decks. <laughs> but uh, I was just wrong about that. So please forgive Yeah, we me. were like devoted druids back. Nope. We are going to talk about that later in the cast, though. It made it into a legacy challenge finish. Right. Yeah. I've been playing Paper Magic the last two weekends. Star City Philadelphia SCG Con happened. I finished 37th in the modern tournament on day one. I got paired against Alex Rubin. We were both X2 in the last round. I said I'd rather get nothing than intentionally draw into min cash. And then we played it out and I got nothing, which... It's fine with me. Like at that point, like I'm not on that grinder life where I'm just going to handshake for $100 at the end of a 12 hour day. Like I'm going to take my swing. And then I finished 30th in the, the legacy one. So just missed, missed cash on modern and just got cash in legacy playing Grixis Shadow and four color with the Black Splash Dark Bant deck. Then I ran it back this past weekend with that Titan and Double Looks games. Spectacular. Played the same two decks. I O2 dropped Legacy. I think that Blood Moon and Jeskai are too popular right now for, for Dark Band. I'm going to shelf that deck and reconsider my, my control options moving forward. And I won the Modern event with Grixis Shadow. Tore up that field like Warm Butter. That deck's so stupid. Like You just get all these Legacy cards. Some cards that are banned in Legacy. When I was sleeving up my deck for Philly, the modern deck, I literally de-sleeved the Jeskai Saga Van deck that I still had constructed in paper, just hadn't de-sleeved it yet. Took all those Legacy cards, put them straight into a modern deck, and feels good, man. I love winning tournaments. Those of you listening can't see Brian's office, 
But in the area that Brian used to record, you'd see this nice painting of Brian in the background, a bunch of trophies. I won't lie, I was sort of looking to see if you would hang up your new trophy behind you in your office when we got under the call, because I saw the photo of it. It's really sweet. Yeah, Double Looks Games, they're also a print shop. They have like a massive industrial like warehouse space that they're set up in, and half of it is just a professional print shop. So they printed like giant foam core trophy cards it's got like they have like a graphic designer on staff who also runs all that equipment and their whole building i'd never been out there it's a pretty new place and their whole building is just full of like really professional looking wall decorations where it's like rick and morty and they're like wearing double looks game shirts and like deadpool is like holding like a double looks games uh like flag like uh printed onto their refrigerator and like there's just like all these little touches where i'm like wow this really ties this what could be a scary miserable industrial space into like something warm that you want to be at but yeah the the trophy that they made is really cool just it's like a grand prix size foam core card with all of their own decorations on it and to answer your question someday when i have a good recording space like right now i'm recording out of my guest room like my house just isn't really set up for a like a a set to record on someday when i build that space i will have that thing visible somewhere yeah, I've been considering doing some upgrades because, like, my lighting is not the best in the winter months, and I realized this, and, like, now I want to buy some more lights, and if I buy some lights, it's like, well, if I have the lights, I should just get a green screen while I'm at it, and that'll probably snowball quickly at some point. Yeah, my girlfriend does uh, commercial acting and, like, some modeling on the side, and she wanted a backdrop for, like, audition tapes and headshots and stuff for Christmas, and... I got her the biggest one possible and also made sure there was a green screen in the kit, you know, yeah, wink, wink, you know. just in case that comes up. Yep. <laughs> little little gift for you, but maybe for me kind of situation. I know that they're expensive, but Anurag Das initially turned me on to the Elgato green screens because it's literally pull up and pull down in seconds. Uh, they're a little bit pricey. Back when I bought mine, they were like 175 That said, Phil, you got all that YouTube money. No excuses. They also sell the LED lights to go with it, but I got much cheaper lights that are just as good off Amazon. Not that I'm trying to support Amazon here, but, you know, you can shop around. All right. Um, I guess kind of the last thing I have in this section, sometime soonish, I'm going to be actually recording some competitive D&T videos, uh, which I haven't done in a while, because someone challenged me to 5-0 in three tries for $300. Absolutely on board with that as a marketing strategy and to uh, kind of push me to actually play some competitive magic. So that's going to be nice because I haven't really done anything with Death and Taxes seriously since uh, the previous Eternal weekend. So it's it's time to shake off the rust and, and get a little serious about something. Yeah, we need some tryhard fill out here. Show Dude, me try, hard, try hard fill hasn't come out in a while. It's It's been mostly like fuck around and find out fill. <laughs> right. You've been finding out a lot of stuff lately. Sure have. Absolutely. All right, um, shall we kind of hop into uh, the core of the episode directly now? Let's do uh, it. I would like to say, if you enjoyed that 20-minute section, that's the sort of stuff that's going to be on Patreon, starting with our next episode. If you like that, jump in. If you hate it, thank us for cutting it by jumping in. Either way, love to see your support over at Patreon. All right, so here's the actual meat and potatoes. So essentially what I did was I sat down and I kind of combed through a bunch of legacy and pauper deck lists from the challenges, and we're going to kind of highlight some decks in action um, and kind of see how these cards 
actually impacted formats. Because last week was kind of our theoretical, like, here are the things that we think are going to impact, and now we're starting to get a look at the things that actually do. For your purposes, uh, being my fellow co-hosts here, um, I kind of have all these deck lists hyperlinked for you in the show notes. I appreciate that, Phil. <laughs> This 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 was my uh my planning period this afternoon because I was done grading so uh I actually had some time to do some real show notes. That's lucky. I was at work all day. I mean, I was too, but you know, when the kiddos don't show up to take their makeup work, you know, I I, I get some extra time. All right. Um, we're gonna start with Kappa Cannoneer. So this was a card that we highlighted and we thought was going to be good, and then I started playing against it and. Well, my YouTube comments today are a lot of, oh my god, this is fucked up. How is this okay? Ward 4, are you serious? Card is very good in practice. It put up three different results in challenges this weekend in three slightly different deck lists. So there is a blue-white Emery sort of Esper Sentinel build, and then there are two builds that kind of go in the 8-cast direction instead. And kind of before we delve into the deck lists themselves, I want to say that I think this card and these decks would be more popular if not for how excruciatingly difficult this card is to find right now. Uh, have you all been following the prices? I have. I have not looked at the actual price, but we've done this dance before. In paper, I think it's reasonable. It's like you, you can get this thing in what is it, set booster packs and collector booster packs, but not draft packs? Or does it come in a whole deck? Like, is it in a precon? Um, I believe it's in a commander precon. I think that's how that works. There are some cards that are printed not in precons, but straight into set booster packs. Like, I'm pretty sure the Shrine Legend is not actually in a precon, but I think Kappa Cannoneer is in a precon. So, in real life, the price of this thing is sort of limited by how much the precon costs uh, at some point people are just going to get uh 99 free cards if this card gets too expensive which we've seen before like in the true name era era and even scavenging ooze and Flusterstorm ended up costing more than the decks they originally came in but in real life it's mostly fine for a legacy card but in paper or in in online you can only get these cards from treasure chests which is the dumbest release thing, but I guess how else would they do it? Just sell the, I guess sell the commander deck precon online is the other way they could do it. Or or increase the drop rate in chests to a more reasonable number. These things are a hundred ticks on Magic Online. For those of you who don't do Magic Online, that's a hundred dollars basically. And they are sold out at that number. Like, Card Hoarder has zero of these in stock. Goat Bots is at, like, critical low red threshold. Uh, it is hard to get these, and I want to record with them, so trust me, I'm paying attention to it. That said, Phil, they release fat packs and other supplemental products in the Magic Online store. It's not just tickets and individual packs. So I don't see there being any reason why they couldn't upload the Commander decks and then just sell those. Um, when you buy a commander deck in paper, realistically, there should probably be a redeemable code. I know that they were doing that with secret layers for a while, and then they might have stopped, or I, I heard a rumor they stopped, but it might have just been one or two. 
but it seems like something they should do to get more people tied to digital magic as well as paper. But on top of that, I've been tinkering around with some commander on Magic Online. The casual queues fire instantly, where the competitive queues can take like 5-10 minutes. So I don't see any reason why you wouldn't want to get Magic's most popular format on Magic Online and thriving. So the first deck list we're going to talk about is third place from the Legacy Challenge on the 19th, and this is the blue-white build. So this features, um, I'll just kind of read off the, the creature suite, four Emery, Esper Sentinel, one Canonist, four Kappa Cannoneer, four Psy Master Thopterist, and two Thought Monitor. And then supporting this, you have a couple Chalice of the Voids, and then most of the free artifacts you're used to seeing in these decks alongside Urza's Saga. So the idea here is that Esper Sentinel is supposed to help you recoup the card advantage from playing out a bunch of these zero-cost artifacts, and it itself is also an artifact that contributes to your artifact count for things like the Kappa Cannoneer and the uh, Urza Saga Construct tokens. Psy plus Cannoneer, that's a combo. Just getting two artifacts worth of improvise off of every Mox Opal you cast. Mox Opal is just Black Lotus. I, no, I guess you can't tap it for mana and improvise. Never mind. But getting two mana off of Mishra's Baubles, pretty messed up. I also believe that Kappa Cannoneer triggers on itself entering the battlefield, right? I, I noticed this thing was one bigger than I thought it was supposed to be in one of the games I was playing. I don't know if that was an initial bug or what, but that thing was definitely entering as a 5-5 when I was playing against it. Uh, Yeah, I mean, if we look at something like harmonic sliver for for comparison it says whenever a sliver enters the battlefield destroy an artifact or enchantment and it does trigger it off itself so <laughs> good catch yeah Yikes. um card was a, like just that much better than i thought it was in that regard and then like once you see the psi bullshit in action oh my god it is it is beautiful i saw a screenshot that i retweeted I'm going, I'm going to look at the exact number. So I have a screenshot of a 24-24 Kappa Cannoneer equipped with Lightning Greaves attacking on turn two. <laughs> uh, from Japanese uh. player Mopanda underscore MTG on Twitter. And it was just like, oh my god, I want to know how this happened. It's, it's just beautiful. So kind of based on that screenshot and other ones that have been going around on Twitter, it's pretty clear that Kappa Cannoneer is powerful. And we saw three kind of different versions of this deck list. Um, so why don't we flip over now to the 12th place deck list from 219 um, by minus T110. So this is a mono blue, uh, like eight cast version. So this one has Emery, Kappa Cannoneer, Psy, Thought Monitor, Thought Cast. And this version did have Lightning Greaves for powering up the Kappa Cannoneer as well as a slightly increased Urza's Saga package with things like a Welding Jar and Aether Spellbomb that weren't in the first deck list. Notably, though, this version is only playing three Kappa Cannoneer and two Psy. Who wants to bet that this person could only find three Kappa Cannoneer, and that's why there's That was not my four. first thought as well. I mean, there might be... It might have been, like, week one. We don't really know yet, like... Uh, people started with like two Stoneforge Mystic in their blue eye control decks back in the day too, before they really were like, oh, oh, my bad. So it, but, but yeah, uh, the budget on week one is something to think about. And is this deck really built to shred out 
Kappa Cannoneer in the same kind of way. I guess Welding Jar is kind of a smoking gun that this is a Kappa Cannoneer deck. Like, you, you, that's just not a card that gets played in Legacy unless you're up to no good with it and trying to win with a single artifact. I haven't seen Welding Jar since like KCI was a thing in Modern. They're They're up to something. It occasionally shows up in like a, a very low to the ground affinity deck or something like that, but minus a sweet spot uh, last summer when Modern Horizons 2 released where like affinity was a somewhat viable legacy deck list like affinity hasn't seen much legacy play because the prevalence of meltdown in the format just made it so that like playing affinity like true affinity was just not super reasonable i did have one thought looking over these deck lists so the first deck list was white and had source of postures in the board i was like oh that's interesting it really shores up its delver matchup a deck like eight cast traditionally crushes combo anyway and against control decks you get to out card advantage them with all of your thought cast effects and I was like, oh, so it really shores up everything. And then I was like, that will be interesting to compare to the mono blue list. Well, looking over this mono blue list, they don't have sorts of plushers, but they do have a brand new card from Kamigawa Neon Dynasty, Ottawara Soaring City. Sorry, I just hit my watch. And that plays sort of the same role while not being a splash color. How do you guys feel about sorts of plushers versus Ottawara? I'm going to just reread that card because this is one that hasn't seen a ton of legacy play. Um, so this is the blue legendary land that taps for one. Uh, it has three and a blue channel to return target artifact creature enchantment or planeswalker to its owner's hand. And it gets one cheaper for each legendary creature you control. And two of the f decks for unique creatures are legendary. So Ottawara could just happen for two mana some amount of time. It, I imagine it's frequently three instead of four there between the six legendary creatures. And a lot of your best starts start with Emery. Yeah, I, I like Ottawara just as as a thing that your deck can do. Somewhat relatedly, in my modern tournament this past weekend, my four-color money pile opponent was looping Ottawara with Ren and Six against my uh, my Death Shadow. So uh, I'm glad we don't have Ren anymore, but Ottawara is definitely a card to look out for. It's a very powerful effect at very low deck-building cost. I think this is very good at answering a problem card in game one scenarios where you don't have access to your sideboard cards. I don't think this is a permanent answer to your like Delvers and Merktide regions. You know, it can kind of keep you from taking a hit, but you're really using this to like pop the collector oof out of play that's giving you trouble or pop the ensnaring bridge out of the way so you can hit in with your Kappa Cannoneer once and kill your opponent. I, I think this is a pretty low-cost inclusion in the, this deck list, uh, and we're actually going to see this in another deck list that we're going to talk about as well. Uh, because you're already not beating, like, the back-to-basics in Blood Moon, right? Like, those those cards are absolutely just a punch in the throat already. So if you're already at that point where adding, a, like, another basic or two isn't going to, like, really save you, it's pretty low-cost here. Yeah, Ottawara also doesn't say that an opponent controls it just bounce a creature artifact enchantment or planeswalker like if your opponent builds up the resources and they like evoke uh solitude on their fourth land just pay the ward and then you bounce your homie like after they've paid ward oh that's call the police I and mean, i think that's gonna happen especially like if your deck's playing welding jar you're already saying like i'm in on kappa cannoneer and 
using Ottawara defensively, like Brazen Borrower not bouncing your own things was a very, very intentional design nerf. And they just didn't do that with Ottawara. So uh, this has the rescue mode on Unsummon, which is usually the better mode on Unsummons, historically speaking. Yeah, I, I think it's like rarely going to be the card that truly wins you the game. In the situations where it wins you the game, it's so important that you had it. Because these decks don't usually have a game one generic answer to stuff. Like, these decks don't tend to play, say, a one-of Brazen Borrower that can just get anything out of the way temporarily. And this fills that, that like, niche need without taking one artifact out of the deck that powers out everything else, that powers down everything else that you're doing. Yep, these are all great about uh, buying that turn or two that it takes for them, for your opponent to refill their graveyard and redeploy Murktide Regent. Or you could save your own Murktide Regent with your Kappa. Go, to, go directly to jail, Brian. That's disgusting. That must be illegal. Question for you, and this might be a little bit too far out of the box, but Meltdown has been a card that's seen a lot of play recently because, well, you get to three for one in Urza Saga with it, essentially, right? Like, you get both constructs, you get the card the Saga gets. That's delightful. Well, Meltdown doesn't do a whole lot against the six mana artifact creature that also costs a bare minimum of four to target. And I say four because as ward four, theoretically, I guess you could snuff out it and pay four, but realistically, it's going to cost plus five. Are there cards, and I'm just using this as an example, but Shatterstorm-esque that are just destroy all artifacts that are reasonably costed that people should start to look at as answers to Kappa Cannoneer. Uh, Brian, your deck list with Seeds of Innocence comes to mind. I don't know if you're still playing it. But cards like that, are you going to see the value in these increase? Yeah, I think so. I recorded a Jeskai League yesterday, and I had a couple of meltdowns in the sideboard, and it was like, well, hope my opponent doesn't have Kappa Cannoneer. This weekend, my friend in paper did manage to secure a set of Kappa Cannoneers on release weekend to play in our Legacy Tournament, and he lost a standstill in round one who just had trusty old Supreme Verdict. Uh, actual sweepers, uh, not... Not X-based, not damage-based, not cost-based, like Engineered Explosives and Pernicious Deed and Meltdown and these these things that people try to get clever with, like just actual wrath. And just for the historical context, just to remind our older viewers and refresh the, the our, our younger viewers, these are the same conversations we had when they printed True Name Nemesis, which is thing from a commander set, conventional answers don't hit it. We're going to need to adjust to this thing or die to it. And hopefully we've learned some lessons from the true name era about how to kill an unkillable thing. And honestly, that might be part of the reason why Aether's Bellbomb is in this deck list, right? Like that's a tutorable thing that you could use to bounce your own Kappa Cannoneer in response to a removal spell. Yeah, the Cannoneer does incentivize overextending into those lower sweepers. Like if you just float explosives on zero in play and just keep count uh you're it, it's not like mock sapphire where they can float in improvised mana like they actually have to have all five of the artifacts in play at the time that they tap them to announce their cannoneer like you can wait for like the third one to hit the stack count their mana and be like okay sweep out the four that are already in play or whatever and it, there's ways to sort of cut the 
cut the supports out from under this thing before it gets in. Yeah, and th you can also just, like, really hate on a lot of these decks with effects like, say, Kataki or uh, Stony Silence, for example. Um, so this deck has, like, 23 uh, artifacts plus four artifact lands plus the cannoneers plus like there is a saga construct tokens if you start hating on artifacts generally speaking the splash damage you do might deal with the kappa cannoneer too so like while a meltdown doesn't answer kappa cannoneer if you cast a turn two or three meltdown versus these decks before a kappa cannoneer comes down like that that probably wins you the game too um right uh it might be time for a council's judgment to come back I mean, you can still Pyroblast this thing on the stack. Uh, control decks, a lot of the time, if you get an early hate piece or early sweeper, like if you do hit them with the Null Rod or the Meltdown on turn three, you will get into five mana for the, the Swords to Plowshares or the Red Blast to kill the thing in play. Like it, It's really not inconceivable. Like If this thing comes down on turn one or two, it's going to be really hard to answer before you're dead, but... I play a lot of control and I hard cast a lot of force of wills. The, those decks are made to make the game last longer and made to hit land drops. And y you will have five mana eventually. You do probably need to respect this card properly, though, um, because a lot of times uh, something like Plague Engineer is an answer to these sorts of like large, dumb creatures. But Kappa Cannoneer making itself uh, unblockable uh, means that like you can't just use that generic answer you're used to using. So while Plague Engineer might be great against, say, Psy going and making all of those Thopters, that doesn't actually stop the Kappa Cannoneer itself. I think the one argument I can make against some of these suggestions is that the Kappa Cannoneer decks are also Force of Will decks. In post-board games, they are Force of Negation decks. They're also Flusterstorm decks. And the first card that Brian mentioned, I thought made perfect sense. And that was Supreme Verdict. No matter what, that Cannoneer is hitting the graveyard. I do like Seeds of Innocence, and I like a couple of the other suggestions. Like, honestly, I thought Council's Judgment was a really good observation. It makes a lot of sense to me. It's versatile. You know, it used to be a playable card before Prismatic Ending. There's a lot of nice things there, but it is a card you have to make resolve, which could be difficult. Right. Yeah, and the Cannoneer is a really well-designed sidestep, like, Wizard says they don't design or test for legacy, but it's hard to look at this card and think that nobody, if, if nobody thought for a second, like, oh, legacy a cast is a deck. If they did, and they were a proponent of the deck, they would print this card. The fact that it, like the ward protects it, like ward makes a one drop cost five. Chalice makes one drops uncastable. Meltdown, engineered explosives being the type of answers uh, you don't need to activate anything. Like, Improvise is not an activated ability. It, it's a way to cast spells. Uh, like, it's like Nullrod doesn't affect this. This really does cleanly, beautifully sidestep every single thing you want to be doing against 8 cast. And, like, the Plague Engineer thing. Like, if you could play Plague Engineer named Thopter and then just trade off the Death Touch body for this thing, that wouldn't be a big deal. But, yeah, this thing, it, it is a really interesting puzzle for the meta to adapt to and for this deck to adapt to as well yeah and the thing about the pyroblasts is the the blue white version had two chalices in the main deck and the both the mono blue versions have four chalices in the main deck so if you're trying to rely on pyroblast to answer kappa cannoneer you also have to have more answers to chalice which means like you're requiring like multiple different probably sideboard answers to this card 
now a lot of it does depend on how popular this deck becomes i i think bob huang played some version of this deck list to a finish of some kind and said yeah this deck's really good but it can probably be hated out do you guys remember i believe this was on the uh the source forums the there was there's always that like diehard suicide black contingent and when night's whisper was spoiled somebody set up a troll post that was like night's whisper is the thing that finally broke suicide black and dark ritual is going to get banned for it like i have leaks coming from inside watsi and the community just melted down about it <laughs> just like those those 20 people on the earth who ever thought suicide black was good <laughs> this is unreasonable there there was always this joke for years that there was there was some secret dnt guy at, at watsi like specifically printing cards for legacy death and taxes and i i i think they've moved on to eight cast now like they they know like they got thought monitor recently psi kappa cannoneer i'll go full tinfoil hat here okay so kind of back to the the core of this deck uh one thing that we haven't talked about is that urza's saga makes shadow spear tutorable and lifelink is really good if you have a 20 power turtley boy lifelink's pretty lifelink and trample are pretty good on a 4-4 in legacy Uh, even if it's not unblockable like i have seen many games slip out of reach of just like make a construct make a construct get shadow spear equip my 3-3 give it plus one plus one and trample and like that's enough to really materially swing any race and yeah just having an actual body like an actual fatty body to put shadow spear on is is very significant i mean for the control mages out there like how good do you feel when you get two uro triggers right and you've just like have gained six life like that six life is often the time you need to close out a game this is the eight casts version of that where if you connect with a kappa cannoneer equipped with a shadow spear once realistically you probably gain like eight life and that that's a murktag regent hit right like that's an opposing urza saga construct hit or maybe two in some cases that's pretty huge and so that this is a card that is making the shadow spear that was already in the deck better all right um do we have anything else we want to highlight about this deck list or these deck lists rather i i would just like to add one quick rules thing uh ward is spell or ability and opponent controls so beseju is not going to get you out of this either so um that card didn't actually make it into the show notes um this is a card that like i have run into in leagues but i feel like it's not quite making the impression that i expected it to in legacy do you all have any thoughts about that like bryant i i think you were doing some testing with it in storm right yes i tested it in the epic storm i played it in ant i've been playing in a pioneer it's been very very good uh but it has one awkward thing with legacy storm you can't use it from exile so that means galvanic relay is a problem and then in modern i haven't published it yet but by the time this video goes live i have a gruel storm video coming out where march of reckless joy it also doesn't work with that and by the way march is a card that is slept on that card is much better than i expected it to be what does this card even do i've never even heard of this card so it is one of the marches which are the new age shoals for X and a red, it's an instant. For each red card you exile from your hand, it costs two less. And then you exile the top X cards of your library. You may play up to two of them until the your next end step. So you can cast it on your opponent's end step, untap, play those cards. Or you can cast it on your main phase and use those cards until the end of your turn. 
um, but it's only two. It was much, much, much better than I expected. I was like, yeah, so it's like a sort of like weird light up the stage. I was really blown away at how good it was. I know that I'm just like saying the same words over and over and over again, but wow. Nice. Yeah. Uh, my experience with Paseju, I played it in Dark Bant. I recorded a league with four color red band, and I played that one paper tournament with dark band in paper. I posted a sick Twitter screenshot where my storm opponent was going off uh, with defense grid in play, and I had two mana up, and my hand was just Besaju Force Blue card, and I just let them commit, and then cleared the the grid for two mana, and then cast the force when they thought they were safe. That felt good. Gross. And I recorded a league yesterday that Jeskai league i was talking about where i had to fairy time raveler and play stuck blood moon against 12 post and they just floated a green and i was like well shit <laughs> and they besaged my blood moon out from under me even though i had to fairy protecting it and so i've i've felt the the sting in both directions but throwing back to our last episode where i sort of called besaged as a really good disenchant and not a paradigm shifter. And I'm I think I'm pretty comfortable with that assessment right now. Like nothing is Besager's not gonna really break anything. It's just gonna make counter BS a little little worse. Like Storm can answer Null Rod cleanly, uh twelve post can answer Blood Moon cleanly. But in general, it's just a really good disenchant. I think there's one exception to that rule, Brian. And you're a fellow Tinker lover. Okay, okay. Well, Sphinx of the Steel Wind. Oh, okay, okay, uh, yeah. Just became... (laughs) If we go to Vintage, everything's different. One, it stops Saga, which is a huge thing. But Sphinx of the Steel Wind went from being lights out to unplayable in a heartbeat. It just doesn't beat the matchups that it's there for anymore. Uh, so I think Sphinx is now a pretty big liability, and I don't plan on playing it in the future. Right. In, in Vintage, Besaju is a completely different animal. Uh, Sphinx of the Steelwind, clipping an Underworld Breach, clipping a Bolus's Citadel, uh, just paying two mana to destroy a Trinisphere, breaking yourself out from under some spheres, like uh, just on curve. Uh, yeah, it, it's a totally different animal in Vintage where I haven't fully explored it yet, but in legacy and modern which are formats that i've played beseju has been fine i'll say this about paradoxical outcome brian outside of mana gorger hydra there hasn't been a real reason to play green like veil of summer is not really the type of card you want to be playing in vintage since it doesn't really interact with your opponent but now you have another reason to play green i think eventually we will see more mana gorger hydras out of po if beseju is as strong as we think it is in vintage gorgeous i love mana gorger I really enjoyed the screenshot that was going around uh, vintage Twitter today uh, of like the, the meme where like the guy is like kneeling on the gravestone with like his hands up doing some funny pose. And like the guy is Beseju and the grave is just like most of the iconic shop cards. Yeah. Uh, Wizards of the Coast made the decision you know, 10, 15 years ago that they would never ban Mistress Workshop. So they have printed enough answers to it. They printed Paradoxical Outcome. So then blue could just go over the top on turn one. And then now they've given us Beseju and all this other stuff along the way. I appreciate it, Wizards. Shop sucks. Speaking of shops, uh, let's talk about Patchwork Automaton. So this was a card that I was super fucking hyped about uh, in uh, preview season. And I got some funny looks for that. Uh, And I've kind of seen it two places. So the first is in the 
let's read this card again before okay. we jump into it. I'll, I'll I'll set it up. Two mana, one one with ward two artifact creature dash construct. Whenever you cast an artifact spell, put a plus one counter on Patchwork Automaton. All right. So this made it into the twenty first place Bomberman deck list from the weekend. So Bomberman is another one of these decks that wants to be playing an absolute crap load of artifacts. And a lot, a lot of times an issue with Bomberman is that, like, when you have, like, the infinite and you can create infinite mana, you don't actually have an easy way to kill without a billion clicks. Well, if you have a clear path through the red zone, Patchwork Automaton gets to lethal much more quickly than a Walking Ballista does. So that is a nice, like, clock-saving kill for this deck. Like, if your opponent has a couple of blockers and you have a walking ballista, like, you could just walking ballista those creatures down and then just swing in with this for lethal. And this also just is something else that incentivizes you having those LEDs, pedals, opals, and such in your deck list in the first place. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I don't know that I fully comprehended this card has Ward 2 during preview season. I was like, eh. It's fine, but it'll just die. But it won't. <laughs> not not cheaply. Ward, Ward is so much better than it looks. Yeah, if you force a Vigor trying to target two of these things, it costs four. Like, just get in. Make it happen. There is one place where this card is absolutely crushing. And that place? Pioneer. The Ensel Artifact decks are all the rage at the moment. And this card is at the heart of those decks. It's not quite in Soul Artifact, but it's pretty darn good. So if you're interested in these sort of decks, wink wink, nudge nudge at our friend Phil here, maybe you should try a Pioneer. In Soul is the Suicide Black of Pioneer. There's just like 10 people on the earth who want that deck so desperately to be good. And it it's like always just not quite good. Um, I also want to talk about this card in Vintage. Um, I'm very much waiting for my deck list hookup. Um, so the screenshot I'm going to talk about is from uh, Zias MTG on Twitter, uh, Z I A S M T G. Uh, there is a screenshot of them winning a game with a 24-24 patchwork automaton, a 15-15 patchwork automaton, and an 11-11 patchwork automaton. Basically, once I get this deck list, I'm going to do that in vintage, and like we'll we'll see actually how good that is. Hey, Phil, can you say automaton three times very quickly? Automaton, automaton, automaton. That was easy. Yeah, I got, I got this, this like, tongue that's used to Latin and Greek. I'm, I'm, I'm good with those languages. Menomenon? Menomenon. Automaton. Automaton. Yeah, if anybody likes these sort of, like, goofball cards like Patchwork Automaton, Zeus is a high-quality follow. Uh, Bazaar of Baghdad master, but not just on dredge like if there is some like uba stacks or bazaar shops or crazy brew uh Zeus is is your source um i played his uh asmaran just cool to car etc vintage uh, he just shoved that into vintage hogak as an engine and did well at eternal weekend with it and yeah Zeus has the brews very very Whatever it takes to have your brain wired to make sense of Bizarre Baghdad and Mishra's Workshop in the same deck, he's got it. Yeah, that deck list was wild. They always are. All right, uh, speaking of wild, the next deck list is the Swift Reconfiguration combo with Devoted Druid. Uh, so just as a quick refresher, Swift Reconfiguration is a one-mana white flash aura. 
that enchants a creature or vehicle, and enchanted permanent is a vehicle artifact with crew 5, and it loses all other card types. So the combo is you put it on Devoted Druid, which you can put a negative 1 counter on it to untap it, and this creates infinite mana. It also gives it pseudo-haste because it is no longer a creature. Correct. This, uh, and this is a Miraxis of NL decklist, uh, this deck seeks to get this combo, and then uh, you can get a Thrasios Triton Hero into play and do some gross things. So this is Scry for four mana. Uh, okay, I, I should do this full card. Uh, so it's green and a blue for a 1-3 legendary merfolk wizard. For four mana, you can Scry one, Reveal the top card of your library. If it's a land card, put it onto the battlefield tapped. Otherwise, draw a card. So once you have generated your infinite mana, you can put all of your lands in your deck into play and draw any number of cards, which is pretty good for a control deck. Yeah, that's pretty dope. I love seeing Thrasios in Legacy. It, anyone who plays CEDH probably sees a lot of this fella. Thrasios and Timna are a partner pair because it gives you blue, green, black, white. And they're partner commanders who both draw cards. And they're usually just there for the colors, but it's awesome seeing it as an actual combo payoff in a, a sanctioned format. Yeah. And the cool thing here is like since you're this control deck, like the swift the swift reconfigurations are kind of just acting as removal spells when you can't just combo off, right? So this deck has two swords of plowshares, one prismatic ending, four swift reconfiguration. That's a decently f flexible removal suite. Absolutely. Um, I don't really have anything else to say about this deck list, but I just wanted to like highlight like, hey, this this did the thing. I don't know that this is a deck list that other people are going to pick up, but like there's there's a brew making it. Yeah, I would like to also just shout out uh, Peter Vanderhelm, who is Maraxis of NL. That's who that is. PVDH underscore magic on Twitter. He does set reviews tier lists every time a set comes out he's a content creator as well really great stuff coming out of him so also a high quality follow if you're on the twitters i was looking at the next deck list down just because it caught my eye while reviewing this uh you know swords to cow shares or car shares or whatever you want to call it deck um but i was like wait is that a goblin bushwhacker and it caught my eye and i was looking at this and i was like well darren epicure squadron hawk what is going on here and then i go back to the show notes and phil has already highlighted it in the show notes as well i'm glad i'm not the only one that like bugged my eyes at this caldera rebirth as well this deck is just wild at first i thought it was a joke i was like is this like one of those challenges where you like top eight a deck for under five tickets or something but it just looks crazy um basically this is a very low to the ground red white token aggro deck uh, for Esper Sentinel, Goblin Bushwhacker, Goblin Guide, Squadron Hawk, Thalia, Raven Inspector, Voldaren Epicure. Look, we love Thalia. That, that's how decks like this can have a decent Boo. shot at beating combo. And it has four of Scars of Mirrodin Common, Coldoltha Rebirth. As an additional cost to cast this, sacrifice an artifact, and you get three 1-1 one, one red goblin creature tokens. Let me just hold... Uh, I, I'm sure there's more to say, but of the four ofs in this deck, Koldotha Rebirth is like the third most <laughs> spicy one. There's also four Force of Virtue, if you ever just need to two for one yourself to get a Glorious Anthem into play. 
and there's four rights of initiation. This card, that card we thought was busted at the the high school tables. I remember that one or grade school tables, however old I was when Odyssey is, is this an Odyssey card originally? Correct. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I was probably in like seventh or eighth grade for Odyssey and we were just like, yeah, I'll chuck my whole hand right in the graveyard and do an extra five damage. That was a card that I actually had to read. I didn't know what that one was. So I'm going to read that for our listeners. So this is one red mana. Discard any number of cards at random. Creatures you control get plus one plus oh until end of turn for each card discarded this way. Yeah, instant. instant, uh, Which is disgusting as a combat trick, let me tell you. Like, oh yeah, I'll take four damage this turn. That's fine. Discard four cards. The four damage just, like, became lethal. Oh shit. Yeah, the the Kaldatha Rebirth, looking at this list, uh, Esper Sentinel is secretly an artifact. Thraben Inspector brings an artifact. Voldaren Epicure brings an artifact. There's just 12 one-drops that either are or bring an artifact with them. It's a really cool deck here. Big fan. Yeah, this this is the sort of thing that I would absolutely play on my channel and, like, you know, ex- expect to have a fun time with it. But it's super exciting to see someone bringing that to a legacy challenge being like, okay, I have this idea. I'm willing to bet my entry fee that I can make this work. I love seeing this. I can say the way that control decks are constructed in legacy right now, this deck is pretty close to unbeatable. It with any reasonable start, the the like eight swords to plowshares sort of arrow to pick up the pieces once the, the dust settles decks are not going to be able to one for one this deck into the ground. You need like a Supreme Verdict or a a, a Kozilex return, like a real sweeper in the deck, engineered explosives, uh, pernicious deeds probably too slow. I, I would be worried if I queued into this, honestly. This is one of those decks that beats you in round one of a tournament and knocks you into the loser's bracket, and you're just like, well, fuck. Like, there was there was nothing yeah. I could do, dude. I was dead on turn three. Yeah, didn't plan for this one. Kind of rounding out our, like, legacy section here. Um, as expected, the Death and Taxes decks are trying out Lion Sash and the new uh, White Iganjo land. Not a lot to say there. That's kind of as as expected. The Lion Sash is a one of. People are messing around with one or two copies of Iganjo, and we'll kind of see where those settle. Lion Sash, I I I play. I put it in my deck once, and then I ne- never drew it in a league. Uh, I played against it a couple of times, and it was pretty impressive. I played one in Jeskai Stoneblade that I recorded the other day, and it was medium fine. I, I was glad it was around. Uh, in a deck like Jeskai Stoneblade, these days you just assume your Stoneforge Mystic is going to die. The days where you can like force their swords to plowshares and just ranch with a batter skull are long gone. Removal's too good. So just being able to get something that you can then do for three mana. Like they, they bolt your Stoneforge and you play Lion Sash and can make it a 2 2 immediately. Like that, it, it's just cool to be able to provide that pressure. And, and it's not just a batter skull or cauldron rotting in your hand. Yeah, it's it's a fine card that does stuff. It's nothing like revolutionary, but like it when you are resource light and you can funnel all of your mana into growing that thing, it's it's a very real threat. But it's maybe the sort of thing you don't really want early in a game, which kind of makes it perfect as a singleton in, you know, your eighty card Yorian deck list. Right. This weekend in modern, my hammer time opponent flashed in Lion Sash in combat with Zagarda's aid and just <laughs> had a huge blocker suddenly okay that's i wasn't ready for that all right are we uh ready to transition to talking about pauper specifically now yeah let's do that all right uh 
So Popper got some really big shakeups in this set list. Um, this set has been jokingly called like Popper Horizons by multiple different people in many places, and I I think the 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 moniker is is fitting. So why don't we why don't we start with uh, with Storm and specifically let's start by talking about Experimental Synthesizer because this is a card that has given at least three very distinctly different archetypes a huge shot in the arm. While Storm had won the Popper Challenge on Sunday, it wasn't even the most highly touted synthesizer deck going into the weekend. There was a few posts on Reddit about somebody going like 15-0 with Boro Synthesizer. It had done well in leagues. There was a lot of hype around it, and it did pretty well over the weekend. But the focus wasn't on Storm. In the Storm Discord, I mentioned to the Popper channel, hey, I think Synthesizer can make sense here with Deadly Dispute. We've been running Icar Wellspring. And people are like, yeah, maybe I'll try it out. And within a couple of leagues, everyone was like, this card is busted. We broke the format. This deck is bananas. And then sure enough, the results followed it on Sunday when Raptor 56, a super strong and very well-respected Storm player, just crushed the event with synthesizer storm uh they actually ended up beating blue black fairies in the finals which is a pretty tough matchup for storm and i was chatting with raptor after and one of the breaking points was converting synthesizer into a 2-2 samurai that forced the opponent to eventually tap out to answer it that created a window so to me that's just super funny that the the flavor text the trinket text on synthesizer of making a samurai ended up being relevant yeah, this card is really good. We It was on our list last week where we were like, you know, cards that are probably going to get played in Popper, but I did not see this Storm deck. Do we have uh, Boros Bounce? Okay, we'll talk about that in a little bit. That's the experience I had with this thing. Yeah, Um, I now think that Experimental Synthesizer is the best card for Popper in the set, and I don't think it's close. My attention yep. was too drawn to Moon Circuit Hacker which is a very good Magic the Gathering card, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But I, I underestimated how much value is attached to this common because it enters or leaves the battlefield that you get to exile the top card of your library and, and you could play that card until end of turn. So, like, you're getting it on the way in, you're getting it on the way out, you sometimes sacrifice this artifact for additional effect, and, like, there is this whole samurai thing that can happen in a pinch, too. There's so many words on this card. Like, holy moly, this thing is impressive. Yeah, there's a lot going on here. As a quick side note, I bought a bunch of Japanese foils from Haruya over the course of the weekend because they went live on Thursday. You know, I bought them on Thursday and Friday, placed two different orders. Raptor was telling me about the win with the samurai, and I went... Oh no, I didn't buy Japanese foil samurai tokens. I haven't placed another order yet, but now I'm sort of bummed that I didn't buy them. Because I think the samurai aspect is very yeah, real. It's going to come up for sure. That's Empty the Warrens. How did right. you not make that comparison? This is just Empty the Warrens. Yeah, I don't know. I blame you two. You two didn't open up my eyes fast I enough. I didn't see it. I'm not going to lie. Until I saw this card in play against me, I was, I was like, oh yeah, that I can see where that might find some fringe use, but... No, it's cracked. Okay, um, I'm, I'm going to jump to where I thought I saw this going, and that's Boros Bounce. So when I saw this card, I thought of, like, flickering this and returning it to my hand. 
And indeed, in sixth place in the 219 challenge, we have a a, a Boros bounce deck that is using cards like uh, Glint Hawk and Core Skyfisher to return this thing to hand to go and replay it. And like this was the home that I, I conceptually saw this having in my mind. And yeah, it, it's good there. Also, Core Skyfisher is a fucking beast when you are expecting to play against like fairies, let me tell you because it blocks the two twos that draw cards on the ground, and it also blocks all the like little one ones in the air. Core, Core, Core Skyfisher is a menace if you are on the fairy game plan. Yeah, nothing is bigger than a 2-3 flying in Popper. It, it doesn't exist. <laughs> you, you better combo kill them if, at that point. The Boros Bounce deck was already a good deck with just like Golden Egg and uh, Thraben Inspector, just things you can pick up to slowly accumulate card advantage. Synthesizer, you get the card on the way in, you get the card on the way out, and it costs one to redeploy it. I was playing Mono Blue Fairies with Moon Circuit Hacker. I thought I was on the cutting edge, and I queued into this deck. And yeah, my my opponent just like core skyfished their... Or they synthesizered on like turn two, hit, hit their land drop. Then turn three, it was like Skyfisher, pick it up, Picking it up, real Glint Hawk, and I was like, oh my god. <laughs> the game is over. <laughs> I can't do anything about this. I was just looking at all my, my ninjas and fairies in hand. Just nope. Ice cold. So there's a few different ways that you can actually build this deck. And I'll say that the one that we're looking at that did well in the challenge over the weekend isn't playing as many, but I faced this deck a lot. I recorded a league with the synthesizer deck where I went 5-0 and I beat the Boros. Uh, deck three times and in it you'll see three different mana bases there was one that had cleansing wildfire there was one that had campuses on top of the red white indestructible land but the major theme was there's a lot of tap lands in these decks and that actually slows them down quite a bit this deck list actually cut down on tap effects uh, it does have the Boros Garrison and the Windscarred Crag, but outside of that, it's really just the Cycle Lands, where some of the other ones that I faced over the weekend had maybe even up to 12. So it looks like they're starting to trim down, but if they continue to play Tap Lands, that's maybe something you can exploit by just going underneath this Boros Bound stack. It, it's hard, though, because if you try to go underneath and you fail... Like, you start running into Seeker of the Ways and Core Skyfishers that are going to do a lot of damage to your, like, low-to-the-ground aggro deck. And the, the deck also just plays, like, four bolts, four Galvanic Blasts, and then sometimes additional moval, removal, like Electricery on top of that, or, like, Journey to Nowhere. Um, I, I don't know if you could actually go under this deck super consistently. You can't. <laughs> you can't get under it, I've tried. I mean, you can't beat everything, right? Like, that's a part of magic. Yeah. Um, it's just one thing to possibly look at. Like, if more people copied this deck list, I don't think it's possible. But it was just a thought that I had from facing other people in leagues where I was like, wow, that's a lot of tap lands. Yeah. Uh, and so next, we're going to come to Experimental Synthesizer Affinity. Uh, and just real quick, I want to just run some generic numbers about, like, how frequent Experimental Synthesizer is showing up in these results. So Storm in challenges this weekend, got 3rd, 4th, 1st, ninth. Affinity got 2nd, 4th, 5th, 7th. Boros Bounce got 6th, 7th. So between two events, that is a lot of experimental synthesizer. Uh, this card is good. This card is popular. Have a plan for it. 
So the affinity deck list itself is running roughly three of these. And uh, it's including both Deadly Dispute and Reckoner's Bargain, uh, which is the new one. As an additional cost to cast this, sacrifice an artifact or creature, you gain life equal to the sacrifice permanence mana value, draw two cards. So you can essentially get a card with Synthesizer on the way in, sacrifice it to one of these effects, draw two cards, and get a card on the way out. Uh, that is just providing a lot of card draw to a deck that already had a lot of card draw. Yeah, can't keep Affinity down, it turns out. And these new lists with Synthesizer, they are not blue anymore. Or Thoughtcast has been sort of an anchor to forcing Affinity into a certain kind of lane for a long time. They just don't have to be in that lane anymore. They do not need Thoughtcast to do what they're trying to do. Just Red Black or Jund Affinity is is the future, I think. One thing that I thought was interesting is Atog was banned. They lost this busted sacrifice outlet, and now they're just playing more artifacts that want to be sacrificed. So Reckoner's Bargain is doing some of the lifting, but also makeshift munitions. And sometimes you even see things like Kirkclan Shaman. It's a little bit awkward with Shaman, though, because it kills itself when you want to sacrifice Synthesizer, also kills your Disciple of the Vaults, so it can be a little bit weird. But imagine if Atog was still around with Synthesizer, oh, no. and how degenerate no. that would be. Um, it, it gives me nightmares just thinking about it. God, yeah, that that is not a thought I want to have in my head. Uh, and for those of you who don't play a ton of Popper, uh, Krark Clan Shaman is one red for a 1-1 one, one Goblin Shaman. Sacrifice an artifact, and it deals one damage to each creature without flying. The cool thing about this, though, is like if you have a couple Disciple of the Vaults on board, you could just hold priority and then just sacrifice a whole bunch of artifacts and then fire your metaphorical laser that way. I prefer actual lasers. Just throwing that out there. Yep. Is Grape Shot right. a laser in your mind? Yeah, I mean, you're you're making one big shot. You're shooting, you know, shooting your shot. Yeah, to me, the, the a, sound... a bunch of little shots? Well, like... It's obviously a bunch of little shots, but in my head, the like sound that Grape Shot makes is plunk, 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 plunk. But you're you want it to be like pew, 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 pew. Is that the sound you hear off Grape Shot? Like in my head, Grape Shot is more like a Kamehameha. Like you're just just I'm a fire in my laser. Exactly. All right. Okay. I'm glad we had that. I, I've gone too far into the, the the meme tank here. Yeah. Let's now 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 we have to go back and talk about magic. Yeah. Let's talk about Dogles. Oh my god, I love that. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Bogles, the the old modern deck, is a also a popper deck. Uh, Glade Cover Scout and Slippery Bogle are, in fact, commons. And most of the things that you'd want to put on them are also common. And Spirited Companion, the one in a white enchantment creature dash doge, uh, ETB draw card, 1-1, one, one. The, the Elvish Visionary in white. There's a lot of things in the, the Popper Bogles deck that count the number of enchantments you have in play. The biggest one being Ancestral Mask. Enchanted creature gets plus two, plus two for each other enchantment on the battlefield. And if you're cantripping and adding to your board, uh, cushioning against Edict effects, which are the number one out to a Bogle in this format, you have a 1-1 one, one cantripping edict protection now in the form of spirited companion that's that's pretty cool technology yeah i i looked at this at first 
And I'm like, man, this is showing up in all the deck lists, but this is just Elvish Visionary. And then I saw the enchantment part and I got it. And I was like, oh, that's smart. Mm -hmm. That's good deck building. That just makes the ethereal armors and such hit harder. I think the big draw to the Spirited Companion is the commune with spirits, since it looks at the top four for an enchantment or a land yes enchantment or land yeah. so it's one green look at the top four enchantment or land if you were to run something like the uh i'm gonna mispronounce this but Salundri ledge walker uh silhana ledge walker that's what it is uh it's one in a green for a one one that can't be blocked by creatures without flying i believe it is and has hex yeah and hex proof yeah spirited companion took that slot which does make you slightly worse to other removal if you have to ever suit up the spirited companion but that's not something that happens too often so i don't know if the synergy with commune is better or not but it seems like it is there was a brief horrible time in popper when astrolabe was legal and the Bogles deck was playing Core Sky Fisher and Astrolabe. And this kind of gives me similar vibes where it's just like a body that can attack and block that insulates you against Edicts while drawing a card. You don't even need to take the detour into Astrolabe to make this happen. It's just, you know, here's my thing up a card. Let's play this game. All right. Um, so let's kind of go to our final deck that we're probably going to talk about. Uh, and that's that's the the Ninjas or Fairies deck with Moon Circuit Hacker. So this was kind of like the, the low-hanging fruit for what could be the best card in the set. And in reality, since everyone knew this was coming, a lot of people came out swing, swinging for Ninjas and with real plans for Ninjas quickly. So it did put up some results. Uh, it got 11th and 13th place in the 219 challenge. And very notably, the third place finish from the challenge on the 20th does not include this card. And it is just running Ninja of the Deep Hours and just leaving out Moon Circuit Hacker, which is super interesting because this card is good. Being able to activate the ninjutsu for one mana while holding up like a spell pierced or a blast or something like that is so good or you can ninjutsu it in and then play another one drop afterwards or replay your initial one drop like that card is good it's not having as much of an impact on the format as i expected it to because these synthesizer decks are better and because some of the other decks that are rising to the top like uh say the boros bounce deck are pretty well equipped to deal with this deck yeah i identified one thing last week which is that the Demir and is it fairy decks don't really have room for another ninja in them they're already maxed out on card quality like you'd have to print something seriously busted not just like a slightly different version of a card you already play for of and frequently board out two copies of depending on the matchup like i didn't think those decks would really want this but in mono blue i think cutting delver for moon circuit hacker is a huge upgrade to the archetype I played a version of this that had Of One Mind in it. That card felt good. That's not in the list that we're working off of right now, but Moon Circuit Hacker gives you eight humans in the deck, and then your fairies, like your one-drops, are all not humans. Spire Golem is not a human, obviously. Uh, you just have eight humans in the deck to turn on Of One Mind. And I won a lot of games where... I was starting to fall behind where normally if you start to go behind with mono blue delver, you're dead because there's no catch up mechanic in that single color pie. But of one mind and of one mind and now I'm up three cards on you it is very serious. I was impressed by that piece of technology. I also played mono blue and 
I was very impressed by what the deck was capable of doing, but the deck has a major downfall in that it doesn't have permanent creature removal for creatures with greater than one toughness. Like, you have you have snaps. You have four snaps. That's how you deal with creatures. If you can, like, snap and then counter something on the way back down or snap and swing for lethal, you're good. But let, let's say you play against something like Familiars and they just play an 0-4 wall that you can't ever permanently answer. Like, that brick wall's your idiots on the ground, and they get to just gain that life every turn. You don't get to check that. Like, there, there's real color pie limitations to being in mono blue. Yeah, Bind of the Monster was supposed to be the removal spell that really fixed mono blue, but it's not even stock in lists anymore. Some lists have it, some don't, but that's as good as it gets, and that's not a removal spell. It's a... It's a tap it and keep a tap spell that that's only going to do part of the work against something like familiars. Yeah. So like Moon Circuit Hacker was better than Ninja of the Deep Hours in a lot of the situations when I was playing that league. Like I was just super, super impressed by the card, especially when you can just like one mana bounce your spell starter sprite and hold that up in the same turn cycle like that just felt disgusting. This deck was very good when it worked and very bad once you got behind like once the board stalled it was just like oh no like there's a two three flyer i'm in trouble yeah i better get three spire golems in play to start attacking around it without dying on the backswing that's kind of i played a couple games like that they were not fun oh i know (laughs) (laughs) yeah for sure i i have never liked mono blue delver as a popper deck i i think that it's easy enough to splash and the power level is worth it that uh, i think blue red and demir are are both phenomenal magic decks just popper metagame aside like those are just really good proactive control decks with a plan for the early game if you if your opponent slips and you just start ranching with ninja that happens if your opponent's playing tight and you're playing tighter you can win on turn 35 at, like those are just really good decks and this one is just sort of like it feels kind of like playing Burn when you could be playing Bant Uro or something. Yeah, I, I think that's a good comparison. Like, you're you're doing something very solid, but I feel like there's better options out there. Like, I, I, I was super hyped on this. Like, I really enjoyed playing my, le- like my league with it. But, like, in a single, single league, I saw, like, oh, no, this deck has serious weaknesses that I don't think it can actually address by changing the 75. I just want to be in another color if I'm playing that deck list. Yep, sometimes you lose the die roll. Brian, why did you feel the need to knock the burn community and all the hard work that they look to achieve fixing the reputation and you just had to compare them to the worst version of Delver? Listen, people like Blue Delver. People play Blue Delver. People swear by Blue Delver. And burn is a fine deck that you can play. I think it is actually a solid meta choice in both pioneer and modern i think it sucks in legacy but that's because uro exists i'm not saying like your deck's bad you personally burn player i'm saying like i will not choose to play a deck that opens up its opening hand and knows the whole game plan yet like i'm planning on games lasting a lot longer than that and blue delver is just sort of like okay i with my snap and my fairy i can connect with a ninja on turn two and then then what? And then I hope it works. I just prefer a plan that involves interaction rather than just going for the face and hoping I get over the finish line. I could definitely see myself playing Mono Blue Delver. 
Uh, I loved playing Delver when it was in Standard. Granted, back then it was blue-white because you were playing Geist of St. Trapped and sometimes even Restoration Angel. But I think the one thing that's missing from for me is a card from that era, which is Vapor Snag. Yes, there's tons of other sweet removal spells that you can play, like Bind to the Monster. I actually looked that up while Brian was talking, and it's really sweet. But I don't know, Vapor Snag giving you that little bit of reach could also really help. Uh, I understand that Snap is also just like a terrific magic card and works with your spell stutter sprites, but I love me some Vapor Snags. Yeah, I, I think that's a reasonable card to try out if you are like if your heart is set on trying to make this archetype work. Uh, I, I think that's a good choice. Again, though, it's it's not a permanent answer. It's it's a one turn window. And once you start getting into multiple core sky fishers, multiple uh, spire golems on the other side of the battlefield, like your vapor snag isn't going to do what you need it to do. Right. I did get sort of kicked around a little bit. I ended up winning the match, but it I played a blue mirror where they had mantle of tides and that thing was not a joke. Let me read that one for the, the people at home. One blue artifact equipment. Equip creature gets plus one plus two. Whenever you draw your second card each turn, attach Mantle of Tides to target creature you control. So anytime you connect with a ninja, you can move Mantle around. If you have one of these in play, your Ninja of the Deep Hours is a 3-4. Nobody's blocking that. It connects, you get to throw it over onto your blocker or, you know, whatever. Uh, then you your next main phase, you cast Preordain, move the Mantle back over to the ninja, connect again. It's a really interesting way to manipulate combat math while doing what you want to do anyway. I did end up like stabilizing against the mantle connections and winning the game going long, uh, but because I had different cards. But that is a very cool piece of technology. I saw another one, um, and that's Smoke Shroud. So this is one in a blue for an aura. Enchanted creature gets plus one plus one and has flying. When a ninja enters the battlefield under your control, you may return this from your graveyard to the battlefield detached to that creature. So the idea is. If the ground gets stalled, you use this, and then like you can fly over in the air and still connect, and this allows you to beat through some of the opposing aerial things. Like this will get you through a mole drifter. This will get you through a core skyfisher. Like that's cool technology, and the fact that it can come back later is nice value that may or may not frequently happen. Yeah, this one had some heat on it coming out of Modern Horizons preview season and then just never really materialized yeah uh so the 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 tech here is that since this can come back from the graveyard you can loot this away with a moon circuit hacker and then return it to play i like that oh it's it's super cheeky like this this is the thing that somebody gets excited about when they like figure out this combo right bold of that deck builder to assume that moon circuit hacker is going to connect a second time because it only loots if it was already in play. I I've never connected with a 2-1 <laughs> that wasn't ninjutsu'd in off a of flyer. What format are they playing? I don't know. Th this feels cuter than it is good, but uh, it is a thing you can try. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, and I don't think Smoke Shroud showed up in any of the published deck lists. I can't confirm that off the top of my head, but I don't remember seeing it. I would be surprised if it did. All right. Um... We're getting towards the end of the cast here. Do we have any other cards we want to talk about? Uh, any reflections on this set we, we want to make? We have a little bit of time if we have some other thoughts. I think there's a lot of role players like Beseju, Lion, Sash, 
that kind of stuff in legacy looping it back to to our our main topic i think the same cards that are role players in legacy are also going to role play in modern and there's a lot of just healthy tools uh popper might be a little broken with synthesizer uh, i'm gonna let it settle before i you know chicken little and say the sky is falling about synthesizer that seems like an engine that might be a little too good but Baseju is a a welcome tool in in vintage it's a welcome tool elsewhere just a lot of cool reasonable cards here i feel like this set sets a new standard for what a set release should look like i have seen people so fucking excited about magic in a way that i haven't seen since modern horizons 2 and in Modern Horizons 2, people were excited because everything was stupid powerful. Whereas here with this set, I feel like everyone is excited for different reasons. The art is hype as fuck. If you're a collector, there's all sorts of like niche versions of cards out there. Um, life has been breathed into a bunch of different formats in different ways. There's all sorts of new toys for people to try out, some of which are broken, some of which synergize with existing decks, some of which create new decks. Um, I've heard good things about the draft format as well, um, although I haven't done it, too busy recording videos. Th this set feels like a slam dunk, and I have heard so many positive things about this set. Yeah, I, I ha was having this conversation in one of my group texts with some other jaded old boomers like myself. We're not impressed by anything, we've seen it all, but we were saying that there there is like the S tier of magic sets, like original Innistrad and Ravnica. And I think that Neon Dynasty is going to land just under that tier as an all-timer, uh, not quite a, like a paradigm shifter or a game changer the way Innistrad and Ravnica were, but this is a lot better than most sets. Agreed. Like, in Innistrad still stands out to me in my mind as like one of my favorite set releases. That was a time when I like was excited enough to play Standard. Like I was just like loving the cards that were there. And those same things that I was playing in Standard, I was also playing in Legacy. Um, and I just, like, loved the general vibe of that set. I love the vibe of this set, too. I'm digging this art. And every time I go to make a thumbnail, I'm always like, oh, man, this art is just absolutely crushing it. Yeah, this is even sweeter than I thought it was. Also, shout out to the second mention of Innistrad Standard in this podcast episode. We didn't plan that at all, but hell yeah. Good sets are memorable for a reason, and Neon Dynasty is definitely going to be one of them. OG Innistrad is one of the times where, like, I remember the draft format, like, very, very distinctly. What, 10-ish years down the line? Like, yep. I, can, I can still talk to you about, like, spider spawning. Like, let's, let, let's fucking go. Yeah, uh, my, my last side tangent for the evening. I remember drafting original Innistrad at... Carnegie Mellon University in the old Tuesday night CMU team draft crew. Harry Corvisi thought it would be funny when we were all revealing our flip cards to lick and stick it to his forehead. And he forgot it was there until pick four of the draft. And then it was like, oh, wait, I would have <laughs> taken this. It was like the uncommon like grizzly bear that flips into a 3-3 menace or something. Like it was like one of the very good like premier werewolves. And he was like, I would have taken this. And the person to his right was like, so would I <laughs> and like all four players would have taken it if it was in the pack and there was some cleaning up required stupid Harry that's an awesome story yep just one of those moments from playing magic with your friends 
Oh yeah, like we we all have those. Like in in grad school, I don't know how many times I drafted uh, uh, Return to Ravnica. Like we would just get a box and just like like degenerates just start drafting at like nine or ten p.m. and just stay up until ungodly hours just playing through that stuff. Yep, that was the CMU draft group. It was a like seventeen or eighteen year old Steve Rubin, a forty year old Andrew Cuneo, uh, Harry Corvisi, who was like a full-time stoner and coaching youth soccer uh, when he was awake and Richard Shea in his doctoral program who would just like text our group at like 1130 at night and be like, I just got out of the lab. Does anyone want to draft? And five people would certainly take him up on it any time of night. That Those were the, the D-Gen days uh, back in those times, but we're all older and, and wiser now. I hope the kids these days are still getting that sort of experience. Yeah, they, they just get magic online now, right? Like, they just get to inject it into their veins anytime they want. Right. We had that too, but it wasn't the same. No. All right, let's wrap this thing up. Thank you all for listening. This has been the Neon Highlights. <laughs>